Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Alaska Cast. Today, we have Barbara uh, Johnson here with us. She is the co-founder and a driving force between 49th Rising, as well as a PhD student at the University of Alaska Anchorage. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> it's fantastic to have you. Um, and just to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about what 49th Rising as an organization is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, I just want to get this out of the way. I'm actually a University of Alaska Fairbanks student. I just live in Anchorage. I think it's, I just feel like I could get in trouble if anyone in my committee hears this and is like, oh, she switched universities. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for clearing that up. That makes total sense. I know there's been <laughs> yeah. some program consolidation between the two. Yeah, yeah. It's just not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, 49th Rising is a nonpartisan organization uh, driven by volunteers. And we offer a platform for survivors to share the stories um, on their own terms, in their own words, you know, in their own time. And we also um, have been doing legislative advocacy behind the, she behind the scenes, pushing for um, pushing for certain bills and helping, uh, trying to provide testimony when needed to, to support the bills that we believe in could help make Alaska. Um, our catchphrase is make Alaska uh, as, as safe as it is beautiful. And so that's really what we're aiming for. Gotcha. And this is kind of in, in the larger realm of, of sexual violence. Is that right? Right. Absolutely. And that's what, sorry, that's what I meant by so absolutely. We call um, survivors of sexual violence. There's a lot of terminology, but we um, refer to people who, unfortunately, there's a lot who have experienced sexual violence, um, survivors. Yeah, we, we hear a lot in, in the news, both locally and nationally, about, uh, about sexual violence and kind of the rise of this Me Too uh, movement. Mm -hmm. why, why is sexual violence... Per capita, why is it so high here in Alaska? Oh wow, you're starting with the easy question. Um, <laughs> there's no real answer. That's actually a uh, you know I've had this conversation with quite a few people, including researchers who focus their whole work on this, and there's no clear reason. It's um, some of the hypotheses is um, we have there is unfortunately. There's a thought that we have a, a lot of a big male population. Uh, there's an imbalance in that, a transgender population, so you don't have the social stigma of, uh, of you know, assaulting someone that you know. Um, it, there's uh, a lot of alcohol and drugs. There's also generational trauma. There is a large history of the state marginalizing and victimizing populations and then just take, never providing any support to help people overcome this. There's, again, like, you know, like, we have a lot of military bases, and again, that's a big transgender population, just uh, a slope where you have a big male workforce, again, that's transgender and so on. And not and not trying to pinpoint on anyone, but these are just factors that I've heard um, have been mentioned. I, again, I'm, un I'm unsure. It's probably a combination of all of the above, um, but as far as I know, we haven't really been able to determine why there's such a high rate per capita. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a big question, and there, there seem to be a lot of different factors all sort of pressure on this together. For the 49th Rising um, website, there's a, a section that is filled with sort of uh, stories, I guess, of, of survivors. Um, why, mm -hmm. why are people sharing these stories? I think a lot of it is, you know, when something happens to you, whether you... So first of all, I will say, I think it's really important to mention that there is no... We believe that there's no obligation for people to report um, you have to do what you have to do after you were assaulted and your first priority should be yourself and, you know, taking care of yourself and trying to get and be safe and getting a place where you can hopefully process, you can hopefully try and heal and process what happened. 
Um, but a lot of people who shared the stories had actually reported their thoughts one way or another. And the current legal system when you report is, you know, when you are assaulted, you lose your sense of agency. You lose agency. Someone is absolutely going against your will and not caring. And then when, it's, when you report it, you still have no agency. You don't have a decision about how it continues, whether the case is prosecuted, what charges are brought, and so on. Um, and so after talking to quite a few people, that's a, I think that a lot of it is trying to reclaim a sense of agency and being able to tell your story in your own words, because oftentimes people will focus on a certain detail. Um, you know, if you report it, they want to know oftentimes exactly what happened. If you, um, And that's not necessarily like very few people wanted to talk about it. What they wanted to talk about is overcoming what happened and um, healing from what happened and processing that. And so I think this really allows people to tell their story. And sometimes for some people, it's really helpful to share it and for others, it's not. And I, that can also be cyclical. Some people at some time want to share it and other times they don't. And so 49th Rising really allows people, and I think that's what connected with people to really, like, if you want to share your story and whatever part of your story you want to share um, and, you know, get some agency out of it, absolutely. And we also, when we first launched the site, um, a big thing we were saying was it's really about putting a face on the statistics. And like you mentioned, Alaska has such a high rate of sexual assault, and it's almost just accepted. We're complacent about it. But when we talk to people, what I thought when we were talking to people is people would be like, oh, yeah, like we know it's really common, but we don't really know anyone who it's happened to. But you actually do. It's people around you who are not necessarily willing or able to share the story. Um, and I think a lot of people that resonated also, like having had something that happened to them, sharing it on their own terms and being able to use it to promote change that they believed in. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's very powerful, letting people, if, if they need the space to share, um, kind of share that story in their own words. Um, uh, on the 49th Rising website as well, there's there's a kind of a list of of, of action items or goals, um, and I'll just read them out, and maybe we could just explore those. Um, the, the first one is ensure access to resources in every community. Uh, the second is expand rehabilitation programs for sex offenders. The third is enhance support systems. The fourth, reform sexual assault kit processing and the fifth, revise the definition of sexual contact. And these are obviously, um, you know, these are large ideas. C- can you talk to us a little bit about sort of um, why each is an issue and what, what should be done about them? And we can, we can start from the top. We can start wherever you'd like. Right, absolutely. So I'll start by saying that there is um, there's a big divide in Alaska. I mean, Alaska lacks so many support services, Um we don't have, to, we're not providing the resources. We're not putting our money where our mouth is at. You know, like last year, there was a lot of outcry. Um, Normal Free Passes did an amazing job of keeping a detention on this awful case where this man committed an awful crime, kidnapped a woman, admitted what he had done. And I won't even go over what, like, what he had done. And he was like, he got off scot free, basically. Um, and that really resonated with people. And there was an outcry. But then you look and some legislation was passed and even passing that legislation was really hard. Um, but you look at what happens afterwards. Like we focused on, the focus was really on the punishment of the perpetrator and there was no expansion of support services and so on. Um, and I think that's it. Is I was talking to someone recently and she was sharing how 
we focus on perpetrators. Perpetrators, you know, get a public de- public defense. They get a free lawyer if they can't afford one, which definitely they should. But victims don't have access to those resources. And you know, perpetrators. Um, someone had told her that after ten years, it's time to forgive sex offenders. And her point was, well, but the victims don't have to live with what happened. I still have to live with what happened to me after those ten years. And I, so I think that's part of it is really trying to remember this. Generally, several people in the story, like, um, we're not advocating at all, you know, locking people up and trying to key out and that's it because that doesn't happen and that that doesn't work. It doesn't fix anything, but really trying to change uh, the focus on victims, victims slash survivors, the legal system refers to survivors as victims. Um, just the focus to survivors and needs, how they can be helped and how to make the process as easy because right now you just have to advocate for yourself from start to finish and even more so if you're not in one of the big urban hubs like Fairbanks, Anchorage, and Juneau have the biggest access to services, which are still quite bad. And so that's where, like, ensuring access to resources in every community, like, you have communities without safe houses. There are so many communities where women have to wait days to be flown out for a sexual assault kit, and that means they can't shower for days. Um, and then oftentimes, like, they may have to go back to their communities and keep living, you know, close to the person who assaulted them. There may be no, if they just, you know, there may be no reper- there may be no repercussions, no safety. That's exa- even more important. There's no safety. There's no change in the dynamic. There's no feeling of okay, this is never going to happen again. I will be okay. Um, the expanded rehabilitation programs for sex offenders go back to this idea that locking people up and throwing away the key doesn't work. Um, people are going to get out of jail. They need to be able to function in society and not harm, not be. A, not be a threat to anyone, not be a threat to around people around them, not be a threat to themselves. Um, and the form of the University of Alaska Anchorage and the new, I believe she's the new dean of Native Student Services, actually is working, her whole PhD is on looking at domestic violence rehabilitation programs and making them culturally appropriate, which we do not have in Alaska. Enhanced support systems, this again goes to enhancing the support systems we have for survivors. So right now, if you decide to report, if you decide to report is generally when you would have most uh, support system, but you're still having to, you might have to call the detective on your case, and then you have to call the advocate on your case, and then you're calling the, the nurse. So like you, there's no centralized way, like you're having the hospitals may send you bills and then the doctor who saw you may send you bills and so on. And you're having to navigate every single one of those. We formed the sexual assault kit processing. So in Alaska, we have what's called the sexual assault kit initiative that's funded by the department of justice. And Dr. Ingrid Johnson of the UA Center for justice center has been working on this. Is trying to, she's actually really looking at how the trooper processes are failing survivors and what can be done to improve it. So there's really, people are trying to make the changes. Um, but they're going really slow. And right now we still have quite a backlog of kits. Um, and it's also unclear, like, you know, there was the Associated Press, I believe, recently released a report about what's going on in Nome, where you have the Nome Police Department that hasn't been taking uh, reports of sexual assault seriously for years. And it's also unclear whether they've even been collecting or sending the kits for processing. And then finally, the last one, which was um, revised definition of sexual contact is, um, this was a lot related to what happened last year um, with the um, case that I mentioned where the perpetrator uh, kidnapped this woman. And part of the reason why he was released is according to the law, um, he hadn't actually committed, I believe, a sexual offense because of how, it was like the contact with Jacqueline Matter was not illegal at the time. But something else that I think is really important to look at in Alaska is 
we don't have a definite, a clear definition of what consent is. We have a definition of what not consent is, and I think that can be really troublesome, and that would definitely be another avenue um, that needs exploring and work on. Yeah. Do you have an idea of what that definition of sexual contact should be? You know, so I'm not. Um, the legal system is so complicated, and statutes are so complicated because every little word can have make such a big difference. And so I'm not. I don't have that kind of training. But um, A Equitas, an organization, they're a non for profit based in DC, and they provide training to prosecutors in the states and across the world, actually, on how to prosecute uh, sexual offenses and how to better support victims. And they put out this great report looking at legislation across um, the state and they've like provided very clear definitions like what the uh, consent definition should be and it's the best ones are generally like two three paragraphs because it's so consent is so complicated but it really comes down to like I think is everyone has a right to consent to withdraw consent you know like without having to necessarily go into all the like legal technicalities um Consent is consent, like no means, like, and it's not even no means no, it's unless it's clear, yes, you should assume it's a no. Um, and I think, that, but that's also part of the narrative we have to change in society, and that's not necessarily just through the legal system. So I, we're talking about two different definitions. That um, One is the legal system, and I think there has been some very good legislation out there that could be copied in Alaska. And the second one is really changing the narrative in society that we talk about. It's like, well, I don't know, she didn't, you know, like, yes means yes, and let's go with that. 49th Rising has been uh, around for, for a little bit over a year now. What, looking back at that yeah. year, congratulations, first of all. And, and what, what do you think are the Thank biggest you. accomplishments of 49th Rising? Well, I am going to disclose, I think, like, the biggest accomplishment was um, us launching the website. And you were instrumental in that. Um, and I did want to put your name out there and link you to it because you really did an amazing work on it. And I, it wouldn't have been launched without you. Um, and there were a lot of late nights <laughs> being like, what are we? I feel like there were a lot of late nights, I don't know about you, like, what are we doing? Like, how is this going to go? Um, and so I think for me, the biggest was really putting this idea out there and getting, uh, the big, it was a very personal idea for me. And I really, I honestly, I honestly didn't think it would go anywhere. It was kind of like I wanted to do it and be like, well, I think I'd regret if I didn't do it. And so for me, a big step was really putting it out there and having people like you who really supported it and really put a lot of effort in helping. And then it really resonated with people. And it was, it was sad that it resonated with so many people because I wish there wasn't a need. And I wish not so many people connected to it. But it was also incredible to just see, um, to see people engage and who started doing advocacy like Jessica Wilson, uh, Ronaldo Angerson. Ronaldo Angerson had created uh, Alaska Native Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Group on um, Facebook. And they have 3,000 members, I believe. But she also does a lot of behind-the-scenes work and creates people and helps people um, and helps provide them with a safe situation. But she also started doing, sharing her story and being very vocal and um, advocating. That was so cool to watch that happen um, and Jessica Wilson is just such an amazing speaker and she and the, since I've known her like the her first real step sharing the story was so publicly was with 49 Rising and then she ended up talking you know at a panel that we co-organized at the UN and she's been involved with ProPublica and she's gone to villages and spoken about her experience and I think a large part of that speaking is it helps you, but it can also help other people who may have had a similar experience realize they're not alone, that they're not going through it alone, that other people feel the same way, that sometimes you have bad days, sometimes you have good days. 
Um, I know we're like, we're touching on so many things and trying to really condense it. So I know I'm kind of going everywhere with my answers. No, no, you're, you're doing a wonderful job. And, and I want to just touch base on when, I guess when you approached me with this idea in January of 2019, um, I was in a time of, of, of my life where I, um, I was discovering just how many friends and, and loved ones I knew that were, were going through different sexual violence um, that had that in their past. And um, it, it, it floored me how connected and how pervasive an issue this was and, and how few people were really talking about it. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I did help a little bit with the back end of the website, but I think a lot of the, the vision since then um, has really been on your shoulders and on the shoulders of, of so many other women that, uh, mainly women that have spoken out, um, mm-hmm. men as well, that have kind of shared um, their stories there. Right. And um, taking, right. yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, um, and I think it really speaks to you, but it also, you know, like the fact that, and we had talked about this in personal conversations, I'm not going to, um, but, you know, exactly realizing just how common and pervasive it is. It's just so shocking. And sometimes I still hear people say, like, well, do we really need this in Alaska? Like, I sit, let's try and make this as anonymous as possible, even though this is a small state. Anyways, it, there was part of a meeting I was part of where there were people who work, whose job it is to provide services um, for victims of crime, of all types of crime. And I, I mean, I, it's on the public record, so... But what people were saying is, oh, survivors of sexual assault get all the, like literally people said, survivors of sexual assault get all the services. People forget there's other victims. And something else someone said is, oh, well, people think like, oh, the only victims are survivors and they don't even realize that get, getting your house broken into can be as traumatizing if not more than getting raped. And it's like, are these really the conversations we're having um, by people whose job it is to provide these services? And that was so... I guess what, what I was trying to say is, A, gave you credit for being in a space where you people felt comfortable sharing the story and opening up. Because I think that is something that a lot of people have to do to really acknowledge the problem. And not very many people are willing to do it. And then, B, um, just acknowledge how pervasive it is and just how much also this, this denial of how bad the problem is. Absolutely. And, and there's there's a sort of this taboo on, on sharing information. And, of course, if... If um, mm-hmm. it, it can also be harmful and hurtful for for survivors to share that information if they're not ready to do it, but uh, that, it seems that leads to um, that taboo leads to a lot of misinformation, even from people who are uh, supposedly in charge of efforts to kind of help help with this. Right. Yeah. Now, I think part of the taboo is I think it is that is very hard, and that's something that um, I mean, I personally shared my story very. I feel quite publicly, but that is still something that sometimes I do, you know, on some days it's like, I do wonder. And I think that taboo is something that, and that's something I did want to put out there is even for people who have shared their story, like still, it's a very strong taboo. And I do want to make it clear to people. I have a friend who never felt it, who has not been able to share her story for whatever reason, for many different reasons. And she feels guilt. And this, you don't owe your story to anybody. If you're in a place, mentally or physically where you want to share your story where it can help you um do it but if you're not don't do it you don't owe your story to anybody but if you do want to share it you can share it like it's definitely you're allowed to do that like and um someone who has shared a story for 49 rising they're like well should i remove this like i don't i know this can be very shocking and it wasn't a graphic description of things that had happened it was how people had reacted 
And our answer was, well, you had to deal with this. And this is the reality of what you had to go through. People should be aware of it. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of my feel for if you want to share, like definitely feel okay to share. Um, but if you don't want to share, that's also okay. Shifting gears uh, quite a bit, to be honest, a little bit. What <laughs> you were, um, I mean, you grew up um, in Europe and you studied mm-hmm. uh, your undergraduate here in uh, in North America, but in Canada. What what made you come up here to Alaska, of all places? <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Yes. Um, well, I wanted to go to grad school, and I applied to schools, and I got into a school in California, and school in Fairbanks, uh, UAF. At the time, there was an econ pro a massive econ program that no longer exists, unfortunately. And it was it's really too bad because it was amazing. Um. And so I got accepted to the two, and there were going to be some two very different experiences. And I kept on, on paper, like California, you know, was the better one. It was better in the rankings. Like it was a one-year program. I would have got a job straight out of it. Um, but Alaska was, I was so fascinated by Alaska. And I was only supposed to be here for two years, and that was five years ago, almost five years ago now. Um, and I came to Alaska, and I just fell in love with it within like a month. I was like, I just want to live here. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the short version. <laughs> Yeah. I like warm weather, so clearly Alaska is the place to move to. <laughs> right, right. I think a lot of people run into that conundrum. Um, they they come up here temporarily, and then they they stay here a little bit, and it's it doesn't check things off their checklist necessarily, but they fall in love with it uh, anyway. It just gets into you, yeah. It like gets into your blood, and if you if you leave for a bit of time, you're like, I really miss Alaska, and I think that's when you realize it, that's where home is. Absolutely, yeah. I think every time I've left, I've I've, I've wanted to come back. Um, and for for um, your your studies, your PhD program here from the University of Alaska Fairbanks, what what exactly are you studying? What is your thesis? So I'm looking at the economics of drinking water and sanitation utilities, and um, more specifically, I've been working on implementing an affordability framework that I developed as part of my master's to assess whether user fees are affordable at the household level. Um, and so, and the other thing I've been also looking at is the impact of energy prices on the ability of households to pay for water services and also PFD. Um, so, and the power cost equalization payments, which in, with, there was an agreement between the, just a quick background, uh, when there was an agreement to develop cheap um, gas for uh, communities on the road system. And so in exchange, a fund was created uh, to fund uh, energy costs and rural, uh, electricity costs in rural communities who would not benefit from this cheap electricity. Um, so that's kind of a short version of that. Yeah, that, that's the power cost equalization. And, and how well is that working as a program? Oh, wow. Um, as a PC, I, you know, I honestly don't... I'll say this. I think the program is a good idea, and I think it's definitely fair and needed, especially given how the communities on the road system benefit. Um, We often hear, something that I often hear is this narrative that rural Alaska is getting all, is taking all the money. And I think that we often forget that most of the money in the state of Alaska comes from rural places. Um, The oil fields are in rural areas. The fishing is all in rural areas. So when you look at that flow of money, it's quite different than what I think most what the narrative is in terms of the power cost equalization program and in terms of it definitely needs reform it's such a political subject that i think sometimes it can be hard to do the reforms that are needed one thing that definitely should be changed is that right now communities are essentially penalized if they develop renewable energy because they would lose some pce payments 
Um, I'm not an expert on PC, so I don't want to expand too much on it because I'll probably stick my foot in my mouth in no time by saying something wrong. But I do think that that is an avenue that definitely needs to be explored because um, energy costs are so high in villages. And especially with this winter, like this past winter, it's been so cold. Health, households are really hurting and it's really... Um, and renewable energy can in the long run really help decrease costs and at least provide more uh, reliable um, electricity, which is really important. Absolutely. The cost of, 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 of diesel and other um, non-renewable energy sources, shipping everything out to rural places uh, because there aren't any refineries in, nearby, uh, is the costs are enormous. No. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And for for your work with with uh, the cost of is that uh, the cost of drinking water um, in different communities? Yeah, yeah. cost of drinking water and uh, wastewater and sewage system sanitation system. Okay, and just for for someone like me who might not have a a great grasp of of the comparative cost in like a rural area like Anchorage or Fairbanks or Juneau, what what are the, what are these costs um, for that water in rural areas? I'm sure it, it varies by area, but uh, just for an idea. It does, right. Well, one of the big differences, although, and I encourage you to pay a flat rate too, is anyways, one of the big differences is that most communities charge a flat rate for water. And so it doesn't matter how much you're using, you're going to be paying the same rate. A lot of communities, like I've seen rates of up to $250 per month in communities where you do not have very many full-time jobs, where you don't have very many opportunities to uh, make cash to pay for these, uh, to pay for these bills. And another problem is also that they are quite small communities, so one or two households unable to pay their bills can really um, impact the utility's ability to cover the operations and maintenance costs. So in terms of it, and the other thing is it's not just the water services that are expensive. Everything, a lot of other things are more expensive. Like you can always find one, someone mentioned that, I was talking to someone recently and they said the cost of Spam and Diomede was actually two dollars cheaper than in Nome, um, which I thought was a funny example. But it you know, you can always find one or two items that may be a bit cheaper. But in terms of the basics, in terms of the cost of uh, of life, things tend to be more expensive and everything is more expensive. And so it's not, you know, like electricity is more expensive. Even with the PCE, um, it's quite expensive. And then the cost of like heating oil and then the cost of water. And so you just end up and the cost of food, um, I was in a village recently and I saw someone buy food for four, you know, for four people and it was $500 bill and it was nothing special. It was nothing, you know, very fancy. Um, and so it's all these costs combined that really put a burden on households. Absolutely. And, and, and looking forward into the, the future, uh, if you're looking 10, 15, 20, 30, even more, even longer, a hundred years in the future, are you, are you, there seems to be an aura of, of, of pessimism, which is I think possibly rightly placed because a lot of things will be will be changing. Are you hopeful, pessimistic, a little bit of both for the future of Alaska? For the future of Alaska as a whole? Well, even I mean, I'm actually quite optimistic. Um, you know, I like like we mentioned, I just came here five years ago, and so I'm really a newbie to Alaska, and I'm definitely a newbie to um, the situation and what's going on in rural Alaska. And I really try and enter those situations um, as a visitor, as someone who's learning and trying not to impose and so on. But I've always been so impressed. Like every village, every community I've gone to, I've always met someone who goes above and beyond to help their community. There was one village where the city, where the city administrator volunteered out of a five-day work week. She volunteered two of her days because she, she knew the city needed her, but she knew they couldn't afford to pay her full time. 
he would come in, you know, like eight to eight to four p.m. on all days and do all the work. Um, it's the water utility manager who finds ways to um, accept in-kind donations um, for people who can't pay their water bills, but she knows that stuff needs to get done, and so if they can do it. Um, you know, whether it's cleaning the wash interior or gathering wood, you know, for the system or whatever, like there's a way of getting that done. It's um, the water operator who's been there for 30 years and is getting paid $18 per hour and knows the system by heart. And he can tell just by the sound if it's broken, like what's wrong and who, you know, takes a call at 2 a.m. when the system is broken down and goes there 365 days a week. And he's still looking for ways to lower payments and still looking for ways to make it cheaper and comes up with these designs and gets funding for it. Like the ingenuity and what people are doing is amazing. And I mean, let's not forget that the climate isn't exactly helping. Like Alaska has a pretty harsh climate. We, we get some of the, I think we get some of the most extreme weather in the world. Um, and people have been living here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and developed these amazing ways of doing things. And I think that what makes me hopeful is not only seeing all of this, but also knowing that I think we're moving to a place. Um, Alaska has so many different cultures and diverse cultures. And we are, I, I'm hearing, I was talking to an engineer recently and, you know, generally engineers are very, um, are very more like mathematical and technological oriented and don't necessarily take into account the human factor and he was talking about how there needs to be a need to move away from the western dominant culture being the main culture the norm to an acceptance that other cultures and their ways of doing are um, are also acceptable and will probably be more successful and i think hearing all of these things combined that's what really gives me hope and that's why i'm quite optimistic for our future yeah, those, those are wonderful stories, wonderful examples. And just a final question here. Is there anything else you want to say to the people of Alaska, anybody who's listening uh, on the other end here? Yeah, that you like, your questions are really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if Cuba asks you to do a podcast, just be prepared. Uh, fantastic. Well, Barbara, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate you taking the time. and yeah, Thanks for having me. <laughs> Alaska cow